Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Right now, we are in the book of Acts. Today, we're studying Acts chapter 6. So grab a Bible, get comfortable. We'll be here at least 30 minutes, maybe more. You know me, sometimes that happens. But let's go ahead and pray as we open God's Word today and join in the story of the book of Acts, the narrative where we are in chapter 6. Father, we thank you today for your Word, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds that you would guide us to where you want us to be, to do what you want us to do. That's what we care about. That's what we're here for. That's what we're opening your word for. That's what it's all about. And so, God, I thank you for your presence. I pray you'd bless and strengthen every person that's watching today, that we would go about your business throughout this world. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen and amen. We're in Acts chapter 6 today, so go ahead and grab your Bible if you haven't. And I'm just simply going to do this. I'm going to read through the entire chapter, and then we'll go back through it, and I'll stop just to give some comments or commentary so that we understand what is happening and also receive some encouragement for our day as we live out what God's Word says. Here's what it says here in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, these are the twelve disciples, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Nicanor, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both uh, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, I should know how to say that, sorry, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from... Cilicia and Asia, and rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Can you imagine that? They just, there's nothing that they could say uh, in their opposition against him. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. I'm talking about Moses, of course, at that point. For we have heard him say that the Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face 
like the face of an angel. Now, the story of Stephen only starts here. And what you'll see is tomorrow is Acts chapter 7 is actually full of the entire story of Stephen where he gives his defense and he also is martyred for the faith. They obviously don't like what he has to say. And so that really is for tomorrow. But what we want to do is we want to focus on chapter 6 today and the various elements that we have here. And so what we're looking at in verse 1, it says, Now at this time the disciples were increasing in number. Now I've counted 10 times where the book of Acts says this very thing. The disciples were increasing in number. Some scholars say that there were 20,000 disciples of Jesus at this point. I want you to think about that. It went from 12 to 11 to 120 to 3,000, and now in Acts chapter 6, there's a significant amount of time between Acts 5 and Acts 6. At this point, there's about 20,000, most people believe, uh, these 20,000 disciples. And so the word of God is increasing. The gospel of Jesus is being shared. People are giving their hearts to the Lord. At this point, it's entirely Jewish. There are not Gentiles. If there are, we're talking about proselytes. We're talking about people who have given or who are part of the Jewish community. So it is uh, completely Jewish at this point. And we won't see that move over into the Gentiles until Acts chapter 10. And so it is entirely Jewish church. And the, the gospel is spreading. The number of disciples is growing. And it says that a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Now, Hellenistic Jews were those that had been dispersed, the diaspora, those that were Jews that had been spread abroad, the Roman Empire and beyond. And so their primary language was going to be Greek rather than Aramaic or Hebrew. And so when you have Hellenistic Jews, you're talking about Greek-speaking Jews versus those that spoke Hebrew. And so there's they're at odds right here in this passage, particularly the widows. And so it says, uh, the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and other passages in the Old Testament, we know that the church had a burden to take care of the widows in their midst. Now this is something that the church should always be about. We should always take care of widows and orphans. It is our fundamental responsibility. And let me say that again. The church of Jesus is fundamentally responsible to take care of the widows and the orphans, at least among us. And then God gives us a burden to take care of people beyond us, depending upon our ability and our size. And so we thank God for the privilege of actually serving widows and orphans. And in this passage, you can see that there was a daily distribution of food for the widows. You have the those that were considered Hebrew or Hebraic Jews, they're, they're all Hebrew, but the Hebraic Jews, those that spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, those that spoke Greek, they had opposition. And so there's this complaint from those that are not the widows, but those that are Hellenistic Jews on behalf of their widows, they're saying, hey, they're getting overlooked. Food is not getting distributed to them. And so this complaint arose and it reached the apostles. And that's what we're talking about here. Now, it's in the context of the church taking care of their widows. And let's just be reminded today, if we don't get anything else out of this, we should be burdened for those in our community that we need to take care of. Now, we're not going to do every single little thing for every person, but we should be available. We should be mindful. We should be prayerful. 
and we should also consider this part of our ministry. You say, what's my ministry? Well, part of all of our ministry should be to take care of widows. And we could see that that was the church's responsibility in the early church as we're reading the book of Acts. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples, and they said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. The apostles had gotten to a place where there's 20, their congregation now is 20,000, all right? At Northwest, we're somewhere 1,800 to 2,000. We got a lot of people here. And so the apostles realized we can't do everything in the congregation. We can't serve tables. We can't make sure that the distribution of food is happening at the same measure for the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews or the Hebrew Jews. We can't we can't oversee this. And so they came up with an idea. And this idea is what we would just simply call delegation. But we want to pay attention to how they went about delegation. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Now, I just wanted to point something out. Sometimes we're thinking about delegation and we're looking for able-bodied people who are breathing. And what we see here is people that were given this task just to wait on tables, just to make sure people were getting the proper amount of food that widows are being taken care of. The seven men that they chose had to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Those were the two things that they were looking for, for people that you might consider deacons or servants, people that can distribute food. I don't know if we're always looking for people who can distribute food, that are with these qualities in mind, right? Well, why were they looking for people that had these particular qualities? Because the complaint was not just that there, that the food wasn't being distributed properly on a numeric level, but it was, they felt spiritual. In other words, there was opposition to people that spoke Greek. There was prejudice. And so the indictment is somebody, there are people who are prejudiced, and as a result of their being prejudiced, they're not giving to some, and they are giving more to others. And so they wanted to make sure, the apostles wanted to make sure that the people who were in charge of this were above reproach. They were full of the Spirit. They were being led by the Lord. They didn't have that prejudiced spirit. They were doing what was right. They were doing what is righteous, and they needed wisdom because they were going to navigate the difficulties of the church. Now, I want to point out something. Everybody wants growth in the church, but once you get growth in the church, you're going to have problems. And when you have problems, you need wisdom, God's wisdom, to deal with the issues because it is easy for us not to stay on mission. And that's what you see here. There's two things that are going to happen. Number one, we know that when problems arise, it's easy for us to just try to fix the problems, figure out the problems, focus on the problems, focus on the issues. We have a tendency, all of us, to just get off track. And the problem is, is that sometimes we can stay off track. And that is an issue because what got the church to 20,000 needs to remain true of the church to get it to 100,000, which is right about where the book of Acts closes. Most scholars say that by the time the book of Acts closes, we have about 30 years of history covered. There's about 100,000 people that have given their lives to Jesus. Now, if you're going to get from 20,000 to 25,000, not even talking about 100 then you're going to have to stay on track. We're going to have to stay on track by preaching the gospel. We're going to have to stay on track by making disciples. The exponential growth and increase, the replication of disciples, the multiplication of disciples is not going to happen just because there's 20,000 people. It's going to happen because what got us to 20,000 
is got to stay part of where we're a part of our focus so that we can get to 100,000. So problems will arise. What we do in the midst of those problems means everything. I believe they got a word of wisdom. This is where we could say spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are not just useful during gatherings so that we can have goosebumps and feel better about our, about our gatherings and they're not boring. Spiritual gifts are needed when problems arise. Spiritual gifts are needed to solve issues that we face. Spiritual gifts are needed to bring healing, to bring guidance, to bring comfort. Spiritual gifts are God's answer in and through us in the midst of that which we face, whether it's brokenness or the need for healing or it's problems, these are problem solvers. A word of wisdom is the right word spoken at the right time to the right people. It's an application of knowledge. Now, they knew that they needed to fix the problem. They knew that there was a problem. They knew that food needed to be distributed to everyone equally and that there was no room for prejudice. But they had to come up with a plan, and they did just that. They appoint seven people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. They delegate. And this brings up the second point. The first was that we have problems, and we need to solve those problems. Thank God for spiritual gifts. When we trust in and rely upon the Holy Spirit, He will give us wisdom, and that wisdom will satisfy the issues that we face. So we're going to have problems. Number two, we need to delegate. The church has got to delegate. Pastor Ben cannot handle everything. Sometimes it might seem that way, that that I'm trying to do that, but the reality is is that delegation cannot just happen among able-bodied, breathing people. It must happen to those who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. And this is something we have to contemplate, whether you're on the leadership side, like I am, or you're on the recipient side, those that are serving. Regardless of which role that you play, if you're on the recipient side, you need to ensure that you're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and able to serve God's people in whatever capacity. This brings up a really important point. Sometimes people say, what am I called to? What is my ministry? My answer is, what's in front of you? What is in front of you right now? It may not be the thing you want to do. It may not be the thing that you feel utterly gifted to do. It may not be the thing that you ever dreamed of doing. But the fact is, is that food needs to be distributed. And you can see that Jesus even gives this, in this story, he gives an admonition to his disciples to wash feet. I mean, slaves and children washed feet. And Jesus is like, you need to be willing to do the same. And those who do the same, just as Jesus came to wash our feet, to serve us, we need to be willing to do anything. That's the story of John chapter 13. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he talks to his disciples and he wants to make sure that they get that being with him and identified with him is not about being in some elite club where we are better than others. No, it's about, about becoming like him, doing what he did, stooping low to serve humanity, that humanity can come into right relationship with him and nothing is above us as we seek to serve God and serve people. So when, if we're asking the question, Ben, what is my calling? What is my ministry? How am I supposed to serve people? Well, some of us have gifts. If you have a teaching gift, you certainly want to teach regardless of what your platform is. But we also want to not cover our eyes from what's in front of us. There are often times where God has called me to do something that is just simply right in front of me. I didn't feel gifted to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't love doing it. But it was about loving God and loving people. And love was not revealed by my passion for the thing that was 
in front of me. Love was revealed by my obedience in acting in a way that was responsible for what I see. People in front of me needed food, so that's what I was going to do. I'm going to go to Costco, and I'm going to make sure that this happens. Amen. That's the kind of people that we need to be. We don't need a passion to take care of widows. We need the Word of God that directs us to take care of widows. We don't, we don't need a passion to be generous. We have the Word of God that tells us to be generous. And so we got to stop looking just for individualized callings all the time, because what it'll do is it'll keep us on the bench when, and looking for this specialized ministry that fits everything that I want to do. Friend, let me tell you, the reason that I'm in the position that I'm in is not because I felt that I was called to be in this role years and years ago. It was because I engaged whatever was in front of me. And that's the secret. Honestly, that's the secret. The secret's out of the bag. All I've ever done is just serve the Lord with what was in front of me. People ask me that question all the time. How do you know what you're called to? What is in front of you? What is presented to you? Are you obeying and being responsible for that which you see. Because if you're not, then I would encourage you to be responsible for that. And as you are, God will promote people that he finds trustworthy in the small things, and he will give them more. Now, nothing is small and insignificant to God, but my point is that God begins to release more trust for those that are being faithful and those that are being responsible. So they're in this situation, food needs to be distributed equally, and so they appoint seven people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and the, or they give them this, uh, they give them this plan, and uh, it says right here in verse four, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, let me remind you that if there are not people that are devoting themselves to the ministry of the word, then the ministry will not continue. We're talking about the word and prayer. This is so vital. One of the reasons we do the daily word is to keep us focused in the word of God. We need to focus on what the word says, and then we need to do what the word says. And that really is it. We can't just be a church that serves. We've got to be a church that understands the word, knows the word, studies the word, lives a life of prayer, and we need to act. We don't just pray. We pray and we act. We don't just study. We study and we act. But let me tell you what will dry up. The ministry will dry up if we're not people that are devoted to the word. And so this was important for the, the apostles to delegate so that they could stay focused on the ministry of God's word and prayer, because if they didn't, then the serving would dry up. The church, the exponential growth would dry up because it is the, a biblical church has to be centered around the Bible. It has to be centered around not just the study of God's Word, but in studying God's Word, we will live out God's Word. And so it has to be a fundamental aspect of what we do and a focus of who we are. And so this is really amazing as they say they're going to devote themselves. The statement found approval. I believe it was a word of wisdom. And they actually reference these seven people. The two that you're going to want to remember, actually the three, Stephen, Philip, and Prochorus. Now, I, I've, from my research, Prochorus is the apostle John's companion and assistant later on in his life in his 90s. In fact, a lot of church history tells us that Prochorus was his assistant who was with him in the Isle of Patmos when he was exiled, and that he actually helped him to produce the Gospel of John, First, uh, Second, Third John, and the Book of Revelation in the writing of it, because John was in his mid-90s at that point. So Prochorus was John's assistant later on. You do hear about him later. We hear about Philip. Philip actually stirs up 
um, revival in Samaria. Uh, we later hear he has four daughters who are uh, prophetesses. They prophesy. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on now. You have a whole family of people, particularly four prophetesses in your home. That's awesome. Come on, Philip. Anyways, uh, Philip stirs up revival in Samaria. We hear about him. God uses him mightily. And of course, we hear about Stephen. We're going to read his story in Acts chapter 7. And he ultimately, his life is taken. He's the first martyr. And his martyrdom is a catalyst for the church to just move forward with multiplication. And so these seven, although they're waiting on tables, although they're just serving food to the widows, and we see like, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. It's a huge deal because it's what causes a trustworthiness in the community that causes them to be able to be used by God in greater and greater ways. Now, that's a principle, isn't it? For us, if we want to be used by God in greater and greater ways, part of the way that we gain God's trust and the trust of the church is by serving in the most simplest of ways, the most sacrificial ways. This is not insignificant. This is significant. It's all about who we are and not just what we do. Who we are when we are trusted, then God will give us more and people will trust. Uh, they'll, they'll lend themselves in trust to what we have to say. And this is vital. And I think you know this because you trust people who are among us in such a way where we're inspired by the way that they, they live. And so we see that these individuals, we don't know about four of them, but three of them we do certainly know about later. They brought these, verse six, to the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, the laying on of hands is not magic. There's several things that we know about the laying on of hands in the Bible. Um, one, we know that the priest, as a part of the sacrificial system, would lay their hands on an animal, and that would be like imparting the sins of Israel uh, so that they could have an atoning sacrifice, that this animal would either be sacrificed. There was also uh, a certain thing that was done as well when a hand was laid on the animal and the animal was sent out into the wild. That's a, a lot of context there, but hands would be laid on an animal and it was like the sins were transferred to that animal. So this was a laying on of hands. There's another laying on of hands like Jacob blessing his sons. He laid his hands on them and the transfer of blessing happened. We also have Moses laying his hands on Joshua and this was like a transfer of leadership. It was a commissioning. So we're talking about affirmation. We're talking about commissioning. We're talking about identification. And also the New Testament would teach us as well that when the laying on of hands happened, the sick are healed. And also there was a transfer of authority and empowerment in a sense where we are identifying with one another and we are asking for the Holy Spirit to empower an individual. We see that happen throughout the book of Acts and in the New Testament as well. So the, the laying out of hands means several things, but it's a practice of the church from way back into the Old Testament that we see even in the New Testament as at minimum affirmation, confirmation, identification. But more than that is impartation. As we lay hands, there's nothing magic about the hands, but there's something powerful that God does when people lay hands on each other, in particular in this context. And so they laid their hands on them and commission them to the work. Verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading. I mean, that's a powerful statement right there. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I mean, just think about what this is. Here we have priests, those that are standing before God and people. 
those that are practicing Judaism, those that were set apart in their priestly calling and to the priestly order, they're giving their lives to Jesus. They're listening to what the apostles are preaching. They're seeing the signs, wonders, and miracles, and they're saying, Jesus must be the Messiah. This is a very powerful, powerful thing to read about. Verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders, signs, and miracles among all the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, the synagogue of the freedmen, we could talk a little bit about that, but there were it looks like three different synagogues that are represented here, and they're going to have a difference of culture and a, a little bit of a difference of language. And so without going into all of that, what we know is there's specific individuals that come against and oppose what Stephen is preaching and what Stephen is doing. And a synagogue was that place that people would go to that did not have access to the temple and they would receive of the word, they would worship in a sense, they had, would have a congregational meeting. And so among those synagogues, they, would, uh, they are opposing Stephen's ministry. Uh, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. This is powerful. And, and let me just say, based on this, right, he was full of the spirit and wisdom. He's not this known teacher. He's not this trained rabbi. He's someone that's full of the Spirit. And if you are a believer in Jesus and you feel like you don't know what to say to people, let me reassure you, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. The Holy Spirit can give you what you need to say in the moments that you need to say it. What we have got to do is simply trust in the Holy Spirit. Do you trust in the Holy Spirit? I've had to trust in the Holy Spirit so much in my life because I've never felt like I was that person that was the runner-up and being the best Bible teacher, communicator, preacher, public figure. None of that was in my future as, as I was developing as a disciple of Jesus. I've never felt that way. I've never felt like I was great or better than or destined for. What I always knew is that if I would simply share what God puts in my heart to share, if I would just be who God has called me to be, if I would just share what I've studied, what I believe the Word of God is saying, and then seek to live it out myself, if that is something that I would do, I have found that God will use that, and He will, by His Spirit, use me in whatever way that He chooses. He will give me the influence that He chooses. That is not our concern. Our concern is to be faithful to the Word. Our concern is to ensure that we're not afraid to share, no matter what audience that God gives to us. It might be one person. It might be five people. It might be 20 people. We don't seek the audience. We just seek to be faithful. And God will give us by his Holy Spirit what we need in those moments. And then we see in this particular instance where Stephen's given such wisdom that those from the synagogue can't even oppose him. They've got nothing that they can say. So what do they do? They have to persuade people. They have to pay people to tell everyone else that he's blasphemous. And that's exactly what they do. In verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. What, what does this mean? Blasphemy against God and even against Moses in this particular context, this was, he was liable for death. I mean, the death penalty is going to come to somebody if this accusation is somehow verified. And so they raise up people to, to be the witnesses against Stephen to silence him, right? And so this is a demonic ploy because 
Demon spirits are behind this to silence the truth of God. Demonic ploy to get him to stop speaking in the name of Jesus because they're very nervous. They have 20,000 disciples. They see this increasing. Signs, wonders, and miracles are going on. So they're going to try to stop this. Demon spirits are animating and energizing this effort, this antichrist effort to stop the church. Nothing has changed. There are always going to be among the systems of men, among the religions of men, among among the government structures, unregenerate, non-believing organizations to stop the church, to stop the message of the gospel. We've got to remember this even in the times that we're living. We have to have really good discernment to not just believe everybody's well-meaning. I don't. Listen to me very carefully. I do not believe that non-believers organizations, structures of this world, systems of this world are well-meaning. I'm not saying that everybody has um, a demonic agenda behind everything that they're saying and thinking, but listen, it is lurking. There are spirits that are committed to silencing the church, to stopping the message of Jesus getting out. Eternity is at stake. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, heaven and hell is real. Eternity is at stake. And if we're not concerned about that, we're not going to be mindful of what is actually really happening. Uh, We want you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Well, that's blatant. What about when it's not blatant? What about when it's subtle? We've got to be discerning. We've got to be aware. We've got to be mindful because it's coming and it's coming to us in ways that maybe we've never faced before. So we've got to be people that are full of the Spirit, discerning. We've got to follow the Lord in these days. We're not people that are getting angry and militant and all that, but we've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves because there's an antichrist agenda in the world to stop the gospel of Jesus. And ultimately, eternity is at stake. This is what disciples of Jesus have given their lives to for years and years so that the gospel would move would go forward, that people would give their lives to him. So they're trying to stop what he's saying. They stirred up people, elders, scribes. They came up to him. They dragged him away. They brought him before the council, and they put forward false witnesses who said that this man incessantly speaks again against this holy place. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down. I mean, that's John chapter 2 and verse 19, that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'll tear down this place and raise it up in three. He was speaking about himself. And so they're still using that, that what we know as a passage, but that statement of Jesus, they're using that to indict Stephen of blasphemy. Really, they're indicting Jesus, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, of blasphemy. They're saying, look, he's perpetuating the lie. We need to shut him down. And the last verse says this, in fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. We're talking about the glory of the Lord. The glory of God in the midst of opposition was resting on Stephen. And you and I can be certain that we too will have the glory of the Lord resting on us in opposition. The tangible, the weighty presence of God, visible even sometimes, the visible presence and power of God will rest on those who are seeking to do his will, even in the midst of opposition. Now, let me say this as we close. Doing God's will in the face of opposition is what we must do. How we go about doing God's will is also just as important. 
people of the way, followers of Jesus, Christians, we need to look like Jesus as we speak about Jesus. We need to sound like Jesus. One of the things that we cannot do, especially in the days we're living in, is come off as angry, mean, upset, frustrated people. Sure, we're all going to be frustrated about something, but we've got to be full of peace. We've got to be full of wisdom. We've got to be full of grace. We've got to be people that are uncompromising and unwavering. And at the same time, the way that we are, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that even means in the face of discouragement, disappointment, and opposition. Listen, during these days, we are going to have to press in to receive more of the Holy Spirit. And if things get harder, we're going to need more of the Holy Spirit. But God is committed to giving us everything we need in the seasons that we're in in order to glorify Him. That's what it's all about. You and I just want to glorify Jesus. We want to make sure that we're preaching the gospel. We want to make sure that we're loving people and we're doing it in the name of Jesus with the nature of Jesus. This is something that I advocate. I believe that many of you are the same, but we cannot back down. We cannot shrink back, but we've got to make sure that as we step up and as we speak out, we look more and more like him. As we do that, the glory of God will rest on us, will rest on you, and will rest on me. Well, hey, that's Acts chapter 6. It's a shorter chapter this time. I'm not going an hour and 10 minutes like I used to. We're going 30 minutes this time. And so I want to I pray for us that God would call us in such a way in this hour to be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and also just full of the character of Christ as we go about doing His Word and, or His will in this world. And so let's pray together. Would you just join me? wherever you are. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the strength that comes from your word. We need it. We absolutely need it. We confess our need for your word today. And I pray, God, that your word would strengthen us. Lord, we want to look like you, sound like you, be like you. I pray for everyone watching this, listening to me right now. Would you bless and strengthen them? Fill us with the Holy Spirit today. Fill us with wisdom, Lord. God, we also pray that you would call us to the things that are in front of us, that we would not deny what our eyes see, the needs that are there, to take care of widows, to take care of orphans, to serve those among us that need to be served. God, I just pray also that you would give us strategy for delegation, that we could continue to reach beyond where we've reached before, that Lord, even in a time where things seem to keep shutting down, that we would keep stepping out. And so I just pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to lead us more and more as these days unfold. We thank you for your word today. We love you, and we look forward to all that you're going to do as we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.